Kia ora and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the TPP deal. More than seven years after the Trans-Pacific Partnership began in earnest, the 11 nations still involved continue to haggle over the details. But they insist the finish line is in sight on the rebranded, comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Officials are now working hard to tie up the remaining issues and successfully conclude what has so far proven to be an elusive deal. We would like to send our best regards and warmest welcome to all APEC economic leaders and spouses, invited leaders and spouses, and distinguished guests to the APEC economic leaders meeting dinner, gala dinner this evening. Eleven leaders gathered in Vietnam on the edges of APEC with hopes high that they would push the TPP deal over the line and create a block of nations with low trade impediments and standardised rules ranging from labour to the environment. Given the influence of Japan and given the political uh, capital that's been expended by all leaders now, including our own, in getting this done, I think it'll get done reasonably quickly. But there is lingering disquiet that the deal could still unravel. At the next meeting, will the countries be able to show enough discipline to restrict themselves to those few issues, or will other things start coming up? And with America out of the agreement and in retreat over open markets, there are fears the balance could tilt and open up the way for China to take the box seat and set the rules. It looks to me and to many people who are familiar with this topic like a massive strategic mistake by America, by Donald Trump, to pull out of TPP. I'm Patrick O'Mara, and this insight explores whether the 11-nation TPP group can overcome its differences and a dismissive United States administration to keep the spirit of multilateral trade deals alive. While Vietnamese women sewed garments at the landmark Han market at the coastal resort city of Da Nang in Vietnam, TPP leaders met on the sidelines of APEC to stitch up a deal of their own. But at times it appeared the seams were coming apart. A clearly frustrated Trade Minister David Parker pointed out that Canada had expressed support to conclude a deal right to the very end. Uh, as of last night, it appeared that all of Canada's issues had been resolved to their satisfaction. That seemed to change today. As time began to run out, a burst of intense negotiations resulted in a breakthrough. The Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, expressed her satisfaction with the outcome. Um, I'm pleased with the work that we've been able to do, to do on this agreement. It isn't perfect. No uh, free trade agreement is. But it's a lot better than where we were three weeks ago. For business leaders watching the APEC leaders' welcoming ceremony, few had expected the drama that unfolded around the birth of the new TPP. A New Zealand business delegate at the APEC Chief Executive Summit, Phil O'Reilly, says the fact the deal was saved at the last minute was warmly received. Uh, the, the reaction that I had actually was one of relief that actually we'd managed to pull this baby home, uh, potentially, uh, got it very close. But the reaction around the room from other ABAC members, three from each member economy, of course, and uh, the, the TPP member states, uh, very excited, actually, excited that we managed to we managed to actually do this thing. Uh, um, 
more or less anyway. Uh, it, it, at the time, we said we were going to do it at the, at the leaders' meeting. And the fact that everybody was in the same room uh, from, from the business community of the TPP uh, member states was, was really, there was a palpable excitement. There was a palpable kind of pulling together of the business community because often, of course, when these negotiations go on, we're not in the room. We're, we're in our own national capital, so we're having to communicate much more remotely. So this was very much a, a collegial a business moment where everybody was really very congratulatory of their governments and congratulatory of the process. While TPP-11 is considerably smaller without the US, it still packs an economic wallop, covering nearly half a billion people and accounting for 14% of global economic activity. But the deal is still far from finished. With the US pulling out of the TPP shortly after Donald Trump took power, the risk has always been the remaining countries would take the opportunity to seek new concessions and the process would spiral out of control. Japan took up the mantle as the deal's champion and with Australia and New Zealand as loyal lieutenants has strenuously rebuffed efforts by the other countries to unpick the deal and secure easier terms. A former trade negotiator, now consultant Charles Finney, says it's a remarkable transformation for the East Asian giant which has traditionally been a hesitant free trade proponent. It's fantastic to see Japan playing this leadership role um, and filling the vacuum that was really left by the United States. Actually, TPP was a Singapore-New Zealand idea, so, but, 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 but you need countries with critical mass to really push it. So um, after a while, the United States became the principal champion. Now it's Japan. That, 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 that's really fantastic. Japan is working hard for all countries to sign up by early next year. With the new deal preserving the market access agreed upon in the original TPP, New Zealand's Trade Minister David Parker says a quick outcome is doable, despite some unresolved areas. Well, in terms of the text of the agreement, it's 99% agreed, and these four outstanding matters, uh, each of which has relevance mainly to one country in particular, uh, aren't uh, particularly challenging in their breadth. So assuming there is goodwill on the part of those parties that are involved, those remaining issues should be relatively easy to uh, resolve within months. Of the four issues still on the table, Malaysia wants more time to adjust its rules governing its state-owned enterprises, and Brunei wants a more lenient approach to its coal industry. Vietnam is also seeking extensions before it could face sanctions for violating the PAC's labour laws. And Canada wants more freedom to force companies to provide preferential treatment to protect its French heritage. And Auckland University law professor and TPP critic Jane Kelsey believes getting agreement may not be easy. For those of us who've tracked this negotiation since 2010, it is absolutely impossible to predict what twists and turns there may still be left and whether, in fact, they will reach a final agreement that meets the necessary number of uh, ratified parties. Who knows? The National Party trade spokesperson and previous trade minister, Todd McClay, is worried momentum has stalled. You know, ministers have come out of Vietnam and they've said there are just a few small issues left. But I've got to say that I am a bit concerned because if they are, were such small issues, why weren't they able to deal with them then? And it just it doesn't feel natural that ministers say, we've got a few small issues, uh, no problem, let's flick it off to the officials to deal with later on. David Parker says in this closing stage, 
much rests on Japan's shoulders. Of course, we don't control the actions of other parties, uh, and the country that has the most influence on that as an outcome will be Japan, because they're the major, uh, the major power really left in these uh, negotiations after the Americans left. But how easy will it be for Japan to hold this disparate group of Pacific Rim countries together, which stretches from Chile in South America up north to Canada, across to Japan and much of Southeast Asia, and down south to Australia and New Zealand, and resolve the few outstanding issues. Nick Chapman is a senior lecturer at the International University of Japan and Vietnam specialist. He says Japan's Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, has coaxed Vietnam to retain stronger worker rights, despite the country's hostility towards allowing trade unions to operate. Abe has been very skillful in uh, cultivating a close relationship, not only with Trump, but with also Vietnam. And Vietnam have, uh, and um, Japan have usually had pretty strong relations. And it seems to me that Vietnam really followed Japan's lead in being quite uh, resistant to any changes to the initial TPP. It seemed to me that the, the changes were coming more from the, the more developed countries uh, in terms of Canada and, and New Zealand, that's what it, that's what it seemed to me. I don't think Vietnam was uh, really up for renegotiating many aspects uh, of the, the the new TPP. Mr. Chapman doesn't expect Vietnam's leaders to die in a ditch over easing sanctions for labour law violations, but Canada has proven more headstrong. Professor Kelsey argues that Japan must accept some of the blame for Canada's no-show at the TPP leaders' meeting at Da Nang, which cast doubt on TPP's future. Japan has taken on uh, the role of bully boy in these negotiations, uh, to the extent that it appears to have in fact alienated Canada during some of the meeting in Da Nang. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has been at pains to reassure his domestic audience and remind his would-be trade partners that he won't be making any hasty decisions. We've got a lot of work done. There's a lot of progress made, but there is more work to do. Uh, and that was uh, my message, and we discussed, uh, uh, we discussed it. But it should come as no surprise, and it actually uh, didn't come as a surprise to people who'd uh, noticed that I was saying that and have been saying that all week. Uh, that we were not going to be rushed into a deal, that we were uh, not going to uh, close uh, TPP unless it was right for Canadians. My responsibility uh, is to ensure uh, that these uh, trade deals, these agreements we sign, uh, are the right ones. Pressure from its bigger next-door neighbour is also weighing on Canada. Along with Mexico, Canada has been forced by the Trump administration to sit down and overhaul the North American Free Trade Agreement or NAFTA. The business leader Phil O'Reilly says Canadian business people at APEC were split about negotiating TPP and NAFTA at the same time, in case it upset the volatile Mr Trump. You know, they don't want to offend their big trading partner to the south. I mean, it's something like 90%, I think, of all Canadian cross-border trade goes into the US, I and mean, so you get the idea. Uh, and they, of course, are very keen to become part of the architecture of trade, but there's a real... The real debate that goes on in Canadian trade circles around whether or not it's a good idea to do TPP at the, at the same time as doing NAFTA or whether it's a bad idea. You know, you, you could sit in a function and, and hear those two arguments raised very, very succinctly and very sensibly. So it's not as though there's a single view in the Canadian business community about whether or not TPP should get done before NAFTA or, or at the same time or, or after. 
and, and so they want to get TPP done, no question. It's a case of, of those countervailing interests that play out in their mind. Laurie Wallach is the director of the Washington-based Public Citizens Global Trade Watch, which has been a vocal critic of TPP. She says while Japan may push for a quick deal, Canada will prioritise its trade relationship with the US over the new TPP every time. Japan's sense of urgency for making a deal is directly conflicted by Canada's necessity not to paint itself in a corner in TPP negotiations with respect to its much bigger priority, which is renegotiating NAFTA, its most prominent trade agreement with by far its largest trade partner, the United States. So I would suspect that Japan is going to have to choose between an ever-shrinking TPP that may include even fewer partners or waiting for Canada, obviously a major player in the TPP, to be in a position to re-engage. Regardless of the NAFTA talks, Canada's foot-dragging at APEC has raised doubts about how serious it is about TPP. The former Trade Minister, Todd McClay, suspects there is more to Canada's reluctance than just cultural issues. But I think what we've heard, uh, the suggestion in the media, is that in as far as Canada's concerned, they don't have large issues. If that's the case, it sounds like they're on board, and uh, uh, maybe it can be signed very, very uh, quickly. Uh, I hope that's the case. I'm not sure it is. But ultimately, you know, Canada is an important part of TPP, but we've always said the sum of the parts is greater than the whole of the agreement for us. If Canada leaves, the new TPP may unravel if others follow. But former trade negotiator Charles Finney doesn't expect that to happen. He remains optimistic a deal can be done, and other countries are lining up to sign on. Most likely, I think, uh, Korea will join, and maybe some of the ASEANs will join, uh, Colombia is wanting to join. This has got a life beyond this negotiation. It's going to get bigger. And uh, eventually, the United States will have to join. Under the new TPP, 20 provisions have also been suspended from the original pact, mainly because they no longer apply as they relate to American demands around issues such as tougher patent rules and longer copyright periods. But they haven't been cut out. Trade experts say that's a shrewd move to lure America back into the fold at some stage in the future. Vietnam expert Nick Chapman says the Southeast Asian country is prepared to play a waiting game as it stands to gain most from better access to America's lucrative apparel market. Vietnam has really followed Abe's lead uh, in recognising the significance that this deal could have in enticing the US back. A successful TPP would be bittersweet for the American business community. While not all US sectors backed the controversial trade pact, Phil O'Reilly says US executives attending the APEC gathering were behind it. The colleagues I've been speaking to over the last few weeks, they don't want TPP to fall over as a result of the US not being involved for a couple of reasons. One, they believe in establishing an architecture of free trade in the Pacific that, that, is, that is more multilateral than led by any one country. And... Uh, they also see the potential, if you get a change of president or a change of heart with this president, that eventually at some stage maybe the US could re-enter TPP at some stage in the future. Now, whether that's a fond wish 
whether it will ever happen, who knows, but you're never going to be able to do it if you don't have a TPP in the first place. Nevertheless, Charles Finney says many US firms will start screaming if they're left facing higher trading barriers than their foreign rivals. This is going to be a very strong message to the US business community that you've made a strategic blunder not being part of this agreement and I would imagine the pressure will mount um, inside the United States for the United States to reconsider its position on TPP. The moment this agreement comes into force, the United States is going to start losing market share in uh, markets such as Japan. What an honour it is to be here in Vietnam. At APEC, Donald Trump made it very clear to the region's chief executives he's not for turning on trade and regional trade deals like TPP are out. From this day forward, we will compete on a fair and equal basis. We are not going to let the United States be taken advantage of anymore. The East-West Center in Washington promotes better relations between the US, Asia and the Pacific. Its director, Satu LeMay, says Mr Trump is deaf to arguments that a successful TPP will put the US at a disadvantage. I don't think you're going to see much progress by frontally taking this up with this administration. It is made clear that it wants to discuss this on bilateral terms, whether that be with Korea or Japan or using the trade and investment framework agreements in the case of some of the countries of Southeast Asia. So I just don't think it will be... um, there will be much openness to sort of rethinking TPP at the, at the current juncture. Mr Trump's demand for bilateral trade agreements in the future have so far been politely ignored by Asia. The former trade negotiator Charles Finney says it's an unappealing alternative to TPP. Clearly, President Trump is wanting to sell a message that we're, we're, we're still in the free trade game, but we're going to do America first bilateral deals that are going to be great for America. Um, unfortunately for President Trump, the American economy is actually not as important as it used to be. It's not as if people are going to be falling over to actually be agreeing a negotiation with the United States. Um, so I would have thought um, others will do what the Japanese have done and say, look, thanks very much, but we're focusing on TPP right now. Vietnam watcher Nick Chapman agrees, saying TPP is a healthier option for the APEC host country. He says Vietnam has already experienced the dangers of being economically dependent on a much larger country. In recent years, they've become very economically dependent on China and they, use, they want a broader access to broader markets. Uh, and I think the, T- the TPP was definitely one of the sort of uh, cornerstones of that, um, of that sort of foreign policy. Some view the US's retreat on trade with foreboding. Mr Trump's message of America first and his tirade against what he described as the predatory economic policies of his country's trade partners left many of the APEC chief executives he was addressing stunned and speechless. We are seeing a profound change in the system of global economic growth, uh, governance. In contrast, China's President Xi Jinping painted himself as a champion of economic openness and globalization. The Asia editor for the Financial Times, Jamil Andalini, says Mr. Xi is playing a very smart game when many countries are worried about America's steadfast opposition to any deal that isn't country to country. Now, it's almost comical because in China itself, um, what you see is an economy that is, in general, 
pretty closed to the outside world and in many areas getting even more closed. Um, you see numerous trade barriers, non-tariff and different trade barriers for uh, other countries trying to do business in China. And, uh, and you see an economy where basically the Chinese government is trying to make a much larger role, create a much larger role for state enterprises, for what they call national champions, at the expense of particularly foreign companies, but also for uh, private businesses. Mr. Randolini views TPP as a bulwark against China, warning Beijing will write the global trade rules if the regional trade deal falls over. Otherwise, what's going to happen is China is going to basically set those rules. And that is really, really important for everyone in this, in this region and around the world. Because in TPP, possibly the most important, one of the most important parts of TPP relates to a free and open internet, which China does not have. China has, in the latest rankings, the least free internet in the world, has almost the least free media in the world. If China is going to set the rules on things like internet protocols, what you're going to see is a massive ramping up of, of censorship and a tightening of free speech and a tightening of free, free trade. And the rules will be set from Beijing and they'll be far more arbitrary. Mr Trump may have disengaged with Asia on trade, but he's not abandoned the region entirely, as he needs the help and support of allies to deal with security threats. At the East Asia Summit in Manila in the Philippines, which followed straight after APEC, the US President reiterated his call for Asian leaders to press North Korea harder over expanding its nuclear arsenal. He wants them to use their trade muscle and impose sanctions to coerce Pyongyang to pull back on its threatening behaviour. The East-West Centre's Satu LeMay says Mr Trump has had some success in convincing them to take a tougher stance against Kim Jong-un's regime though the jury is still out whether Asia will follow through and implement these measures. As we've learned from recent events, such as the assassination in Malaysia, there have been um, sort of idiosyncratic agreements and, and, and relationships such as uh, visa-free waivers and countries with um, uh, missions and embassies in, 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 the, in North Korea. So we'll have to see over time whether those ties and trade ties you know, Philippines, for example, has a very robust relationship with, uh, with North Korea. Uh, will we see a, a decline in that trade under this maximum pressure policy? So we'll have to see on that, but definitely there is clearly at least public and rhetorical support for the president's uh, tougher sanctions and tougher maximum pressure policy uh, in many parts of the region, uh, maybe less so in South Korea itself. Dr. LeMay says Donald Trump has also hosted a number of Asian leaders, including those from Vietnam, India, Thailand and Myanmar. You know, the record shows that the Trump administration, at least in terms of Asia Pacific, has already uh, welcomed the Vietnamese leader, the Thai leader, the Malaysian leader, uh, and also uh, has met others on the sidelines of other meetings, such as the president of Indonesia. He's met Prime Minister Abe a couple of times now at least, and speaks to him, we understand from the press reporting uh, regularly. Uh, we know that he's met President Xi and President uh, Moon. So, you know, he's meeting many of these people not for the first time.
Nevertheless, Mr. Trump has been accused of failing to uphold universal values such as democracy and human rights. He hailed his great relationship with the Philippines president Rodrigo Duterte at the East Asia summit. He had apparently failed to mention Mr. Duterte's war on drugs that has left thousands dead. Nick Chapman says the American president has also been silent about Vietnam's crackdown on dissidents. Trump does not pay much attention to human rights, and Vietnam's human rights situation, and uh, since the the recent Party Congress in 2016 has in fact worsened. Um, a lot of dissidents locked up, um, and so forth. So Trump doesn't mention human rights. This is very beneficial for Vietnam. Mr. Trump appears to admire autocratic rulers like Mr. Duterte and the leaders of Russia and China. Nick Chapman says that's left Vietnam's leaders unsure whether they can rely on America to back them if tensions escalate in the South China Sea. Vietnam knows that Trump and Xi Jinping have been getting closer, despite Trump's sort of anti-China rhetoric on his uh, during his election campaign. Since then, they've they've become quite close, and they know that Trump is prioritizing. Uh, the sort of North Korean issue at the moment. And they're sort of worrying that would, uh, Trump's very, um, you know, the art of the deal, he's very uh, geared towards making that deal. So he's wondering, they're they're a little bit worried, will the U.S. sort of sell them out to China? Uh, Sort of in a quid pro quo sort of deal where, uh, you know, the U.S. puts more pressure on Hanoi to cave into Chinese demands in return for China, China uh, putting more pressure on North Korea. The Financial Times, Jamil Andalini, says the president's view that strong countries only need to look out for themselves is making the region worse off. Donald Trump wanders around the region with clearly no understanding of the dynamics in the region, with clearly no understanding of the balance of power that he's messing with as the as the representative of America. America has guaranteed uh, security in this region, a very fractious region where many countries hate each other for, you know, the last 70, 80 years, or, or ever since World War II, or let's say since the Korean War, America has guaranteed security in this region. And it's now receding from the region and China is rising. And that makes a lot of countries very, very worried. China's pushing into the South China Sea, East China Sea, other territorial areas. And it's, it's becoming far more interventionist in all of its neighbours. New Zealand has to tread carefully between America and China, especially when the two superpowers have clashed verbally over events in the region. The Labour-led coalition has followed its predecessors in promoting open trade, and stressing the need for peaceful solutions when territorial disputes have flared. But the government will keep its focus very much on TPP. Nationals Trade Spokesperson Todd McClay says the government should be pulling out all the stops to make this deal happen. TPP is there in front of us to be done, uh, and uh, you know I can't think of any other deal that New Zealand has on the table at the moment as important to us as this one, and that is as close as this one. The Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has already thrown her weight behind the new TPP as it stands. TPP critic, Professor Jane Kelsey, wants a careful examination of the new TPP before New Zealand signs up, rather than rushing in. Our government should in fact be taking the opportunity uh, to listen and think and consider further changes that may need to be made from our end to make the deal more palatable here. 
The Trade Minister David Parker has promised to consult more with the public and be as transparent as possible about details of the agreement. You can always do better. Uh, we will be trying to do better than our predecessors. Um, some people will probably complain that it's not good enough, but we're, you know, people have my assurance that we're doing everything we can. Trade ministers are expected to try to smooth out the final TPP wrinkles when they meet at a World Trade Organization ministerial meeting in Argentina next month, before the final push to put the long-running trade pact to bed. I'm Patrick O'Mara, and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Google Play or Spotify. That program was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insight rnz. Great to have you with us and thanks for listening.